like a stiff two-piece from Uncle Darrell. It's time to get some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back, the boxing edition, ready to spoil your B-sample with a fresh injection of that performance-enhancing audio. You know you want it. You know you came for it. It's May right now, so you know it's a busy season in the world of boxeo. So with me to chop things up is my broham, the hall to my oats, the Eric B to my rock, Cam Rafe Bartholomew. And listen, Big Ginger, before we recap a wild weekend of fights and preview this Saturday's fantastic welterweight championship bout between Kell Brook and Errol Spence Jr., I wanted to wrap up what has been an incredible few weeks for the Bartholomew brand. We mentioned it on this pod a few times, your new book, Two and Two, McSorley's My Father and Me. Look, it's blown up like I thought it would. You're you're in the middle of a bi-coastal book tour. I'm not sure if I call the crib whether it's going to be the same number or the same hood. But I wanted to tell you, I'm proud of you as your friend, a fantastic story, a father and son journey. How has it been getting this kind of attention? I think every media outlet in the world is all over you right now. I'm still waiting for my friends at the Philippine Daily Inquirer to uh, to run a review, but I think it's it's an, it'll happen in due time, knowing I have good ties there. Brian, I mean, it's been great. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have gone through this once before with a, with a book about Philippine basketball. Uh, it's it's it, you know the the entire time you work on a book, you kind of sit there thinking, telling yourself, this is really not worth it. Why the heck am I doing this? It's just you know, it's it's a lot of work when you compute the hours it doesn't come out at a great wage uh there are many moments along the way when you feel like uh it's it's not worth it and it's going to be bad on top of it not being worth it uh and then all of a sudden it comes out and you feel great and then you realize oh this is why i do it and you get uh you know a a, a period of uh, a couple of weeks or a month or you know who knows how long it will, will actually be but you you just you know you feel that sense of accomplishment and it's great and it's also great to have it be about something uh, personally important to, to me, which is, of course, you know, my family and, uh, McSorley is the bar I grew up in. Like I said a few times, I laughed, I cried, I enjoyed it. I encourage all of our listeners to get out there and check out two and two. McSurley's my father and me. Before we wrap on that, Rafe, any, what was the big moment? Anything on this tour that, that, you know, any pinch me moments? Anyone reach out? Anything big happened here that, that sort of said, wow, this thing's blown up? Oh, man. Uh, it, it, I guess the, for me, uh, it had to be, I, I, look, I mean, they, they, I never, I, they put us in the New York Times. I never thought that would happen. I mean, I think my father, uh, when he wrote, uh, he self-published a book of poems about the bar. We always hoped that the Times would, would recognize it and they didn't. Uh, so this was sort of like, uh, you know, we, we got them back on the second generation. So that felt very good. This is the best father-son teamwork I've seen in boxing since Yoel in, in Zab Judah when they when they beat down Floyd Senior. <laughs> or, or, I'm sorry, uh, Uncle Roger in the ring that time. I mean, hey, great stuff. Rafe, let's transition to recap in our main event this week. What really was a wild weekend in boxing. I got to give boxing credit. We know it's the theater of the bazaar. That's what we come for. We're going to get into Darrell Uzkatsigi, which gave us plenty of bazaar. But this was a well-structured, well-laid-out Saturday night of boxing where you had the early Showtime card to to make amends for the tape-delayed bout involving Gervonta Davis from England. But then I love that Showtime, they're like, we're not going head-to-head with HBO later in the night. We're going to give you our East Coast card right after this. That set up really what was a great night. You watch those fights. You get a little bit of a break. If you're a WWE fan like me, check out what's going on in NXT. And then you're right back into the HBO card. And what was at the top of this HBO card was the most marquee fighter of the weekend, junior welterweight champion Terrence Crawford, turning in a a flawless performance, a TKO 10 over Felix Diaz, MSG in New York City. 
wow, Rafe, here's my final analysis on this belt. Crown him. I, Bud is all that we thought he was because it had been hard to – we give him his pound-for-pound pound due, but it had been hard to call Terrence Crawford undoubtedly one of the top three, four, five fighters in the world because obviously he hasn't fought top-level competition. He's been on a tour of Joe Bearland, you know, fighting those recycled John Molina, Ray Beltran types, dominating them, of course, looking great. But outside of that real classic beatdown of uh, of Victor Postal and that well, – you know, junior welterweight unification bout we really hadn't got that that showcase bout we still haven't yet but at least felix diaz on paper was a legit tough out i thought he beat lamont peterson everything that we had talked about and he ripped right through him rafe are you crowning him as well or do you still need to see more um i think it's okay to crown him i i i don't know if i am well where are we crowning him we're crowning him a top 10 pound for pound fighter i i feel comfortable TBE, with that TBE is what we're crowning uh, him, tbe right? well i mean there there that that crown belongs to one man and one man only and unless conor mcgregor does something about it uh it may stay that way um but uh no i mean he he looked great he he has looked great for years now um beating felix diaz i don't know if that tells us something new i think i mean this fight ended up looking like um, the Yuriorkis Gamboa fight, except, you know, a slightly sturdier, more durable Gamboa, but, uh, who was not, uh, uh, you know, Diaz was not as, as dangerous as Gamboa was, especially early in that fight. He didn't yeah, really trouble Gamboa Crawford was in the a, same way. But it's just a, was a, you know, a featherweight who moved up two weight classes. This was a legitimate junior welterweight who had been a gold medalist who had shown you that he could mix it up on the inside, that he was probably going to be trouble for you. There was no trouble. There was no true. Well, yeah, because he is three feet tall. Um, you know, I, I think that it, it look, it's, it's he Crawford looked extremely impressive. He has and he has been that way for years. Um, I would, you know, I guess now we just wait and see when he can land a, a fight that will really tell us where he belongs. See someone who's going to or wait to see him get troubled. I mean, it eventually it happens in boxers careers. Right. I mean, it'll, yeah, for everyone, even the greatest fighters, everyone, you know, hits an opponent who gives them some trouble, even if they end up winning. Uh, and and, you know, Crawford is at that level where we want to start seeing those fights. You know, I think Crawford eventually will find a little bit of trouble because he's so earnest in wanting to get guys out of there. There's been like a change in who he is in a fighter, such a positive change where he goes in there with a mean streak. He tries to get rid of guys where I always lean on my default where like we saw when Crawford first came to HBO about four years ago, those first, you know, the greatest Prescott fight, the Andrew Klimov fight. He was willing to box from distance and win boringly. And he showed you that with that reach with the ability to switch stances, he could do that. I liked about this fight was he established from distance against uh against Diaz that he could do that, but he also stepped in there with lightning quick combinations and was willing to give and take and actually took Diaz's best shots and then was trying to get him out of there. He showed you the full package, and I think the dangerous part of that, Rafe, is if he wants to, if he does get into any bit of trouble, I feel like he's still going to be able to outbox any of the elites. Yeah, well, Brian, I, I think that, you know, you saw, I, I think Terrence Crawford, I mean, it's, you can watch him fight and tell that he's a smart fighter. Uh, and you can also see he brings different approaches into different fights, you know, and he will, you know, adjust according to his competition. I mean, you looked at the way he beat Victor Postol, that was back to a more cautious, uh, less, you know, he was really, you know, he moved a lot, he pot-shotted, he made sure that Postol knew that if if he pressured, he was going to get hurt, and he kind of just, you know, took the fight out of Postol that way. Uh, and so I think Crawford is still willing to win uh, 
in a in less spectacular fashion when you know the the right when the opponent calls for it for one or one reason or another. I think he realized that in Felix Diaz he had nothing to worry about and he could just put it on him. And I, and I thought you know he took whatever power Diaz had he took it with without issue. The real story that came out of that fight is just okay. When are we finally going to see him get the crossover main street fight that he deserves that his career needs? I mean, he's 29 years old. He's right in the middle of that prime, but there's obviously problems because of the boxing political divide. Now, after the fight, he's, I don't want to say half-heartedly, but he casually called out Pacquiao's name. He also mentioned Keith Thurman, who's good, who we're going to talk about later, will be on the deck with an elbow injury. He'll probably, what you will probably see him against is Julius Ndongo, who was there to, you know, he took Ricky Burns' soul recently. He was there in NYC in the crowd. He's in a, what, in a mandatory spot. He's probably next. But the exposure overall is we know we're probably not going to see him against the top PBC welterweights as things stand right now. But the in-house guy he should be fighting is your guy, Manny Pacquiao. And Manny Pacquiao is killing us right now. And you, no one else can defend him anymore. Boxing needs this fight. It needs this passing of the torch. You and I talked about this a few weeks ago. There's no news story why Pacquiao is more wanting to get horned in Australia for big money than avoid this. But it feels like Pacquiao is the only reason we're not seeing this fight. Crawford wants it. Aram wants it. Although Aram did give an F-bomb ran against our guy Mike Coppinger after this fight, trying to defend Pacquiao Horn, saying he can effing put on any, you know, promote any fight he wants to. But hey, get in Kant's ear, get in Pacquiao's ear, don't enable this guy, he's still too good, make this fight. Because if you don't, who else is Terrence Crawford going to fight on the top-ranked side that will allow him to get to that next level of stardom that he deserves? Okay, let's separate some things here. Start start with my man, the great Julius Ndongo of Namibia, which our friend Jim Lampley likes to say, Namibia. Um, uh, look, I, I just watched that Burns fight. He's kind of cool. He's this like crazy, lanky Spider-Man, Southpaw, kind of rough and awkward. I wouldn't mind seeing Crawford deal with a guy who is actually bigger than him, who looks like he might have longer reach. I mean, this guy in Dongo is throwing, is throwing, is throwing lefts from like the other side of the ring that somehow <laughs> land. He's throwing like Dalsim punches. Um, so he's, I, I think that Crawford would beat him. Um, but it is, I, I actually would see that as a, as not a waste of time as as uh, some of some of Terence Crawford's fights have seemed in recent memory. Um, on to Manny. Um, look, I don't think Manny has a problem with fighting Terence Crawford or anyone. It's really just a, a question of money and where can he get that money. And you know what? Terence Crawford still really isn't worth that much money to Manny Pacquiao. So, so are Terrence- you saying if Manny knew that this would be a eight hundred thousand pay per view per you know uh, buy? But okay. That- but if he knew, like, if he was convinced of that, then you're saying he wouldn't have a problem at all. And it has nothing to do with not wanting to get a taste of that. It's more about, I could make the same or more against Horn, so why not? Is that what you're saying? I think it's that he can make more against Horn, and he doesn't have to fight in the States and, and deal with U.S. taxes and the bad press that comes with fighting in the U.S. He's, and that HBO doesn't really want him that badly here unless he's fighting Terrence Crawford. Uh, there's, it, 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 he, I think, the money, the money, the money was the biggest thing when they didn't fight last year. Uh, and, and also what last year top rank didn't want to do it because they weren't quite sure it was time. Uh, now they want it great. I, and it would be a great fight for the sport. But, uh, I, look, I, the way I see this is Pacquiao is just no longer in the real competitive world of boxing. He is an emeritus fighter. He is in Miguel Cotto land. It is unfortunate that he happens to still hold a belt and hold it hostage. So that kind of leaves it in limbo. What I 
personally think he should do, just let that belt go and go have, you know, a fight or two a year for the biggest money against the biggest name or whatever combination he wants and let the, the sport sort of move on as he has these sort of half glorified, not, not quite washed old guy fights, but old guy fights. I get, I guess, I guess it's fair. It all falls back to that argument I had the last few weeks, which is essentially Pacquiao's still too good to fall into that. He's not showing you enough flaws. He's not showing you enough wa- washed moments, right? Like he's still sure, no, too. No, you're right. He is that good, but I don't think that he is that committed to the sport anymore. And That's I don't fair. think he, you know, and, and look, a lot of people would say, well, if you're not committed to the sport, don't do it. But, uh, you know, he can make a lot of money in it. So he, I think he's in it for the money at this point in time. And if the money is right, he will, t- he, he probably will eventually have another big fight against a real world-class opponent, the likes of Terrence Crawford, if it, it will either be Crawford or someone else. Um, but something is going to have to click into place to make all of the money come together. I, I imagine he'll look for a, look back to Amir Khan or some other guy with a name who could, he could fight in a weird place uh, where where some you know where the local authorities will just throw bags of cash at them because they haven't seen a fight like that. Well, let's talk about that. You mentioned Amir Khan, which is a creative choice when you consider the problem here is that Bob's not taking Crawford across the street to the PBC and you don't have a real feeling like he will or it could happen. Crawford's an HBO fighter. You you don't see Bob taking Crawford to Showtime, let's say, for a big showdown against Thurman. Like it's not going to happen. So are there is there a creative option that we're not thinking about? And I think Khan probably is one of those only because we've seen it in the past. He's a Heyman guy who's more relegated to Showtime, but in reality, he floats. He fought Canelo on, on HBO pay-per-view. That's probably, is that probably the best matchup you can make when you're not using a, a normal solid PBC name? Because I don't think he's going to fight Tim Bradley. Bradley has sort of said they're friends. He doesn't want any of that. He sort of sees the writing on the wall of how that fight would end. Is there a more creative option outside of Khan who's capable of connecting with top rank? Cause the only other name that I think of is Miguel Cotto. And I know it might sound crazy to say, well, you know, Crawford's the champ at 140. We know he's eventually going to move up to 47. If he's going to fight Cotto, it would probably have to be at like 52, maybe even junior middleweight. But Crawford, Cotto, pay-per-view at junior middleweight, Crawford wins that, and I would be excited to see it. No? Yeah, no, that's a good creative example. I mean, you don't have to go that crazy. I mean, you could just look at people like Saddam Ali, who's sort of sitting on the shelf, who knows what he's but doing. But he's not moving product, right? That's not moving he's- any product. It's a decent. I mean, you, you Terence Crawford doesn't move product outside of Omaha anyway. I mean, it's a rematch of. I mean, Ali beat him in the amateurs. Uh, he's a. You know, it's it would be something that Ali would might have to look at because he needs you to get his name back. Lines. What? See, here we what go. Uh, I would w- also w- consider. I'd also consider flying down, sending Todd DeBuff down to Argentina to find a man known as El Chino, uh, Marcos Maidana, seeing how much he weighs and seeing uh, how many millions of dollars you'd have to put on his doorstep to drag him out of uh, semi-retirement. Um, Jesse Vargas is sitting around. I mean, that is a good first welterweight fight for Terence Crawford. That I think I would de- expect Crawford to handle Vargas pretty easily, but. That's, you know, that's, that, that, that sort of is the first fight he could take before, you know, while he's waiting for something to work out with Pacquiao or while waiting for Thurman to get off the, get off his, his injury shelf or anything. And while that's true and a Vargas fight obviously would be, it would be a solid first welterweight fight. The overall point is here is that 
we're out of time on him taking those kind of fights. He needs a well, name. Those are meaningful fights, Brian. But, those are more meaningful than Felix Diaz and John Molina. I mean, it like, like yes, but, but listen to this, Rafe. He needs a name more than he needs a, a credibility test. So probably the best mix of all of the above would be Amir Khan. That would probably be the best mix of everything he needs in one fight because he does need a big name to carry him to that next level in the United States because he can't sell himself on his own. Sure. And, and so here's the problem with that, Brian. You know, you know, Amir Khan is one of the more, um, I don't know how, more selective guys out there when it comes to his, uh, his risk reward, uh, arrangements in boxing. And I just, I, I have a hard time imagining they could put enough money on his plate to, to get him to fight Terrence Crawford when he's, he's, ho- he's holding out for the same Pacquiao fight that Crawford wants. Hey, Khan Pacquiao would still move, move numbers. I, I, I would, I wouldn't hate that. But my overall thing on, on sort of the marketability of Crawford is I think he should consider a full heel turn for his best chance of becoming a crossover. He's not the quiet, nice guy that he's presented himself. It's not a bad guy, but he's not the quiet, nice guy he's presented himself at the beginning of his launch. I don't want to say he's a thug, but in the ring, he acts like a thug in a good way. He, he'll he taunt people. You saw how he was patting Felix Diaz on the head during the fight and got warned by our guy Steve Willis, the referee. Outside the ring, you know, Crawford's come from a tough background. He still, even in the past year, was recently arrested for, for minor things. I say if you're top rank, go with a full heel turn. Push him as an actual thug. Have him call people out. Have him constantly disrespect people. Because I think at heart he's a good dude who's come from a tough background and in the ring fights like a real hard warrior. So have him go out there and threaten to take people's souls and talk trash. Call out Manny Pacquiao. You missed that opportunity Saturday night, Terrence Crawford, by soft playing Manny. I don't even think it would have worked if you had gone different. But why not insult him and call him out and say, you don't want none of this. You're old. You're trying to cash in money. Nobody wants to see you fight Jeff Horn. Is there anything wrong with doing that? Wouldn't that get people to care? Well, no. I mean, it's worth it. I don't know if Terrence Crawford is capable of, of playing a character. I think he just goes out and does, you know, he does himself, which is I, one on one hand extremely low key and sometimes sounding like he's like half asleep and then yeah when he's fighting looking like a very very mean individual to face inside a boxing ring um and that's sort of an interest a fun thing you know we 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 see watching as the careers go on of Crawford and and Vasil Lomachenko they're they're outclassing opponents and and each fight they seem to be just you know becoming more uh dickish can we say that can we become <laughs> yes. more dickish to their opponents in the ring um you know I, we were making some cobra kai jokes about lomachenko when he's doing his his uh his uh you know his matador thing with with uh, sosa and it's just uh it, it's sort of fun to see them they can't really hide that inner competitor that that guy is just like screw this guy i'm better than you um uh i don't know if he can act it out on a microphone i don't know if he's trained maybe he needs to go talk to your boys on the wwe side and learn how to cut a promo um look but, it know, works if bottom line it works right yeah you yeah, know it works and you know i mean what he could do what and this is i know this is the pbc side but um it's he's he's willing to fight everyone if he really wants a name a great a name that's probably worth more than pacquiao in the u.s right now and fights at 140 pound start calling out AB, Adrian Broner. We know he's in jail for the next three days. Um, and, you hey, know, Broner uh, wants some of that, by the way. Broner, I know. Uh, Broner in, will, if, look, say all that we, say all that we will about how disappointing his career has been and, and, and maybe, maybe he wasn't, maybe he just wasn't as good as we thought he was at the beginning. Who knows all that, blah, blah, blah. But that guy will fight pretty much anybody. I mean, you put, you put, 
money on the table, he'll show up in some kind of shape and take the fight. And uh, and he's entertaining too. Yeah, forget Khan. That is actually the answer to that earlier question because I think that if if Broner can get his life back together, and the, and the most recent news is like you said, he'll serve three days in jail starting today, which is Monday, for contempt of court, going back to missing a court date for that 2014 charge when he you know he got pulled over and arrested, all that stuff. Look, that's just legal. I mean, it is. Uh, but this is I, the best. That's yeah. probably really the best fight because it could it could be a pay per view, and he he you know PBC might let him walk across the street and cash him out for that. But to transition out of Crawford, one more question from what we know about him right now: if he did fight that upper tier of the PBC welterweights, if a real if this was real sports, right? If a real tournament existed to, to every year give us the best of who's the best, and he had to go through guys like Thurman and Spence and Brook, do you have confidence that there's potential that he would be the last man standing? I, I potential yes, but I wouldn't say I don't think we've seen enough to say for sure. I mean, he has, you know, obviously the talent uh to 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 pull off wins against those that against that level of fighter, but because we haven't seen him tested and that's not his fault, we haven't seen him face guys who match him in terms of size and speed and are near in terms of ability and skill. And I think that Thurman and guys like Errol Spence or Kel Brook if if he wins this coming weekend, those guys can match Crawford in t- or or are basically in the same you know stratosphere as Crawford in terms of uh, speed size ability you know give, they're 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 not necessarily equal on all accounts um, but I think that they would then there's enough tests there to, to, to really learn something about who, who's the best and I wouldn't necessarily say Crawford beats them all I think I mean uh, this is not Thurman. a surprise uh, what do you mean Thurman now, he beats Thurman from what we know right now. All right. And then the real fight down the road is him and Spence. But we'll get to that later. I do think that there's some underneath guys they can bring up. If they want to do Mikey Garcia against Crawford at 140, hey, it'd be a heck of a fight, right? I think there's you some know, other things. I'll say, let do, me but... say one thing about Keith Thurman. I mean, I think that Crawford looks like a more talented fighter overall. Um, but he's coming up all the way from 135 and we don't know how well he takes a real punch. Great, great point. Great point. But we got to move on a lot to get to the real theater of the bazaar. The real headlines from this weekend was really the co-main to the Showtime card from the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland. It's becoming a new go-to boxing site, really out of nowhere, outside of D.C. Andre Durrell, Jose Uzkategui. It was for a vacant super middleweight title, which Durrell won by disqualification. Because of a late punch after being warned earlier in the fight, Uzkategi then again hit Durrell late in the fight to end a round. Was it round 10? Uh, my, yes. my notes are off. And he got straight up disqualified, a three-punch combo where the third punch, the last punch, landed a brief half-second after the bell. But that wasn't the story. The story was when the Durrell family just went off. There were near brawls outside of the ring. His brother Anthony Durrell threw down a security guard, an official who was trying to hold him back. Another unidentified member of the family had to be brought back by security and arrested. And then there was Andre Durrell's uncle and coach or trainer or a member of his corner, Leon Lawson Jr., who, who gave you the, the, the highlight that got spread everywhere on the internet. The two piece on Uzkatsugi in the corner where he landed a flush left hook that turned Jose's chin, didn't knock him out or anything, but rattled him. And of course, outside of any jokes we're going to give you, hate to see that police were, were looking to arrest him afterwards. He's probably going to get banned from, from being in the ring for a long time, maybe forever. Rafe, where are you going to rank this on great bizarre moments? Because boxing, love it and hate it as we go on a cycle of doing. They always give us this. I don't know. I can't give. I can't call this great in any way, man. I mean, this this I don't. This is like this sort of is the uh, 
the old like pornography test, you know, when you see it of, you know, things that I, I just don't feel comfortable laughing at. Um, you know, I mean, that, that, that Lawson was, you know, obviously not wearing gloves, bare fist, caught Uzgatagi right on the chin. You saw Uzgatagi's like eyes roll back on the slow-mo uh, replay of that. And it's just like, you know, it, 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 like, okay, you want to throw pizza at Victor Ortiz? That's not very classy, <laughs> but I can find some of you. There's a, I have, my heart is, is corrupted enough to laugh at that. But this, this was too much for me. I don't, I don't want to give it, I don't want to turn it into folklore. No, I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, it's not on the level of, of some of the more stuff we have fun with. The Argentinian fan doing the, right. the hand sex gesture. <laughs> let me, uh, wait, Brian, let me ask you an interesting hypothetical question and explain how strange I am or we are as boxing fans. So this thing, this event kind of, you know, upset me. I just, I, I'm not comfortable, you know, letting it become part of boxing lore. Um, however, um, Juan Ma Lopez, uh, getting into the fight with, with Wilfredo Vasquez's corner man and, and those punches, for some reason, I, I, that doesn't bother me at all. Can you explain, like, am I just an idiot or what, what like, p- try to set my head in order? Cause I, I, I'm actually confused a little bit. Look, it's hard, man. I mean, boxing is so bizarre that, look, yeah, I should not be laughing and making jokes about this incident on Saturday. Obviously, everything you said was true. But it's a it's a meme, it's a highlight that's getting passed around and people are flocking to boxing because of that moment. We love this crap. We love the guy playing the flute that looked like a dong before the second Maidana Floyd fight. That's what we do because boxing is so wacky and doesn't give you what you need and, and what you really want as a fan. So you take this boxing Twitterverse life that, that surrounds the sport and you eat it up in – Look, I think they're, they're, the distinction here is this was a cheap shot. The guy's going to get arrested. He should be banned from the ring. It wasn't a cheap shot on the level, though, of like, let's say, Richard Grant and James Butler from that from that infamous Friday Night But fight honestly, I, it, it made me thought – it made me think of that. I mean, I, well, I, it's, it's not, it's not of, coming from the fighter, but it is uh, – it was that kind of scene. It was that kind of scene, and, and the line is really where had the – had Uzkatagi been knocked cold, then then we wouldn't be making any jokes. And we shouldn't be making jokes. Obviously, in reality, maybe it's because Jose took the punch and didn't go down. It's easier to just go, oh, oh boxing, they got us again. We shouldn't be celebrating it. But it was overall just a bizarre incident. It's like, why are the Durrell family allowed back in the ring after they're in near fights outside of it? And you you got to point to the root of all this. The root is I don't think Uzkatagi should have been disqualified, Rafe. I think you take away a point in that spot. I think Darrell, he did go down from the punch, but you give him the five minutes. I mean, it was very close. It wasn't a, a, a blatant, dirty tactic. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree. Uh, uh, to some, to, to basically agree. Uh, I think the referee should have worked a little bit harder to, to see how, you know, what kind of shape Darrell was in. Give him the full five minutes. Try to make the fight go on because that, although it did come out, the punch that knocked, that knocked him down came after the bell. It was very close and it was part of a combination and it was not one of the more, not nearly as egregious as the, as the punch Uzgatagi threw in this at the end of the second round that was after the bell. This one, you know, was, um, was one that you don't really want to see a fight end on. You don't want to end on a DQ and, and the, and the referee just made the decision immediately. And I, I've, I haven't, uh, broken down the Zapruder tape of this one as closely as some others on the internet have, but I've seen, um, seen people who I respect saying that uh, online saying that, um, they, they could tell Darrell was communicating with his corner when he was down so that there may, he may have been looking to, to, to get, get out of there with that win because it was a close fight that Uzgatagi may have been winning. 
Well, that's the hook. The hook is that Darrell's been here before. Where you know we'll never forget that that 2010 Super Six bout against Arthur Abraham. That was, was a that was pretty egregious, though. <laughs> that was when he was down to yeah. I admit, yeah, I'm just saying he'd been there before. He knows how it would end. It just stinks that it ends like that. It also stinks like Darrell was you know honest afterwards, saying I don't want to win a title like this, and I don't really know if he should have been interviewed after afterwards. By the way, Jim Gray really pushed. <laughs> oh, him on you a lot know of Jim Gray is not turning down turning down the opportunity for a for a repeat of their epic uh, post fight oh. re- interview with the Abraham fight. Of course, and it's like Darrell's defending his his uncle, and he's getting booed by the crowd. At that point, I think Gray needs to wrap it up. But here's what's tough: is like Darrell was once a great talent. I, mean, I want to say great. I think he was once a great talent. You know, a lot of people thought he beat Carl Froch in 2010 and lost a split decision in the Super Six. Then the Abraham bad situation happens. Then he only fights once in three years. Some due to injury, some due to the promotional thing, where he became the first fighter to leave Al Heyman. Didn't work out for him. He came back to Al Heyman. Now, you know, he gave James DeGale heck in a, in a good title fight loss in 2015, but now he's 33. He's got a couple of losses. Is it, pa- are we way past ever seeing Darrell maximize what he could have been? And at some po- at one point, it looked like he was going to be a problem for anybody at 60 and 68 because of how slick and defensive he was. Yeah, I mean, he is a truly confounding fighter. It's funny, you listen to Pauli Malignaggi talk about him. He, he still calls him one of the most, like, like among the most talented fighters in the sport. Like, Pauli believes that Darrell just has that talent still, even though he's not necessarily, you know, winning fights according to that level. And, and you can see there are, there were rounds in the fight Saturday night when, when Darrell really dialed in that left and was just boxing beautifully but it was after he'd already given away like four rounds and gotten beaten up and hurt a little bit he's a he's really a a confounding fighter and it it seems to come down to him not having whatever it takes to be you know that the 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 brain the mental side of of being a championship boxer where he doesn't seem to hold up under extreme pressure the way that other great fighters do and and yeah. it's a shame because he is a great talent i think and i think you have to look at that degale fight which turned out to be you know really exciting and and it, it was the exact map of what you just mentioned where Darrell had some really good moments where you're like oh wow degale's not ready for this level and then he takes four or five rounds off it's just it's mind-numbing it's frustrating on the way out of this fight though do you want to see Uzkatagi any more or less now? You know, we saw him lose to Matt Korobov on HBO a few years ago in, in the first time we ever tried to pronounce his name. He rocks that red Kangol cap before the, before the fights. He fights in an action style. He's, 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 he's business out there. You like him? You want to see more? I thought he, I thought this fight was very entertaining. And that was one of the, the, the other sort of, you know, shames about the, the ending was that it was really starting to heat up. You know, he, Uzkatagi had, had dominated early. Uh, Darrell had, had sort of come back and, and looked like he was taking control over the fight and, and had sort of, uh, um, tamed Uzgatagi's like, you know, pressuring style. And then, you know, Uzgatagi had that big tenth and was, you know, was hurting him at the end of the round before, before the, the disqualification. It was shaping up to be a, a really entertaining back and forth fight. Um, I would see him again, sure. And I think that he probably gets a sympathy redo over just on, on, on account of being, you know, uh, sucker punched after the fight. Um, and, and yeah, he's an action style. Although, man, you remember that Korobov fight? It was boring, man. I remember watching. I got excited. I got up for it. I was like, all right, another Russian. This is going to be great. Some guy from Venezuela who rocks like a Grandmaster Flash hat and, you know, just looks lanky as heck. And it disappointed. So, uh, but hey, I, I mean, it, I would, I would, I would want to see him again. Yes. 
The main event of that card in Maryland on Saturday was Gary Russell Jr. defending his featherweight title with a seventh-round TKO of a hard-nosed Oscar Escandon who was willing to take punishment and keep coming forward. Say what you will about the competition level here, and it was a mandatory fight that took a while to finally happen, but... Man, Gary Russell looked nasty again, Rafe. Ever since that Lomachenko loss, you know, almost three years ago, he's he's just run off one opponent after another. I think he's more offensive now than he ever was. That was the the original problem when he wasn't fighting anyone tough on his H, early HBO rise. Was wasn't fighting a good competition. Always had problem with his hands and wasn't looking to get guys out of there quick enough. Rafe, I'm seeing a nastier version of him who wants big fights, who puts together lightning quick combos and goes after you. Do you care about him more or are you still on this like wake me Gary when you finally fight one of these big featherweights and when you finally beat them? Because he's called out Maras, Santa Cruz, Frampton, Selby, and he says if none of them want to fight him for unification, he's going to 130 to chase someone bigger. I, I like what he's doing right now. I'm on board. All right. No, me too. Look, I like Gary Russell. I think, I mean, I, I, I like his talent. I like the way he's fighting now. I, w- I only, my only complaint is that he hasn't been busy since the Lomachenko fight. Uh, but, uh, you know, knocking out Johnny Gonzalez, knocking out the Irish guy and knocking and, and, and uh, stopping Escandon. Those are, that's not bad work. And, and he looked good in all those fights. And he's an exciting fighter because he's got those, he throws great combinations. He's got power. He's got those fast hands, but he doesn't really use his legs. So he's just right there. Are going to mix it up and and you know accept against somebody a talent like an all world talent like Lomachenko um, that's been more than enough to beat guys uh, and I was really impressed the way he you know even though he's just standing there in front of Escandon managed to block so much of Escandon's body attack with with just knocking off the shots with his elbows and arms and he really deflected a lot of of, of those punches it was really impressive and then to come back and and make Escandon pay for all the shots he was throwing. It was a cool performance, and and I really do want to see him. I mean, he would make great fights against Mares, uh, Santa Cruz. Imagine Gary Russell trying to stand there and and sort of weather that attack and counter over it. I mean, it, I, it would be a, a really exciting fight. Frampton, I mean, that would be a, a, a you know a great sort of, of matchup of of box, uh, more of a chess match between guys with great speed. That is, I mean, those are there's and there's no reason not to make them. None of those guys are so famous that they can't be put in with another. They can't risk losses. Two of them, they already two of them, a lot of them already have losses. So just you know, just do this. Yeah, he's a wild card in the division. If, if he's going to fight this type of aggressive style against these more elite guys, he's then going to take punishment back, and then we'll see what he really has. Although, you know, in that Lomachenko fight, I think the one thing he did show you was toughness, a chin, a willing, a willingness to keep trying to win even though he has, was outclassed, even though that fight was a majority decision somehow. And when you look back, you remember it being just completely one-sided. So one, one judge certainly got it wrong. He called out Lomachenko again, dropped an A-B line, and basically said, he's got to see me, which I, I love to hear. I don't think we'll ever see that. We talked about that last time. Ryan, but, but before before you move on, can we can we just give a shout out to Oscar Escandon for being part of that legendary night in December 2014 in Temecula, oh, yes. California? <laughs> the terrible decision win over Tyson Cave had Teddy Atlas losing his mind doing a classic Friday night fights rant. We got to hang out with Patrick Connor, the beard. The it beard. was a, it was just a sloppy night of boxing like like no a other Friday night fights, which was the Al Heyman special where he owes nine 19- <laughs> every fighter on the roster one more fight so it's early december and he just loads up a friday night fights card it was like austin trout it was it was a, a washed ped uh tarver knocking out jonathan bent and i mean <laughs> we had joe i got dropped by an mma fighter on the undercard that was a long, <laughs> the best part about that night and i've said it before is El that the last, 
the, was the last match, um, what's like the boobs Brazil, Dominic Brazil? <laughs> yes, yes. The last match of the night, not, first of all, there's no cameras by this point because the main event had ended and they're running out all these jobber matches. Dominic Brazil knocks out some poor fool in the ring and they turn down the house lights and start emptying the, the ballroom there in Temecula while the guy's still <laughs> knocked out in the ring. There's like seven people left in the crowd. Brian, Great you're wrong. The best part of that night was when the Egyptian magician, Ahmed yes. El Biali, came down after knocking out his opponent, returned to the, to the, to the, to the ballroom in, in, in the, in the, in the bathrobe from Three his hotel robe. room. Not the robe with his name on the back. Instead, it was the terry cloth robe from the Pinchanga Resort. But, uh, hey, great moments. Let's get out of here. Headline time, Rafe. There was, there was a few headlines outside of that Broner one, which we mentioned. He'll be serving three days in jail starting now. He did shut down his Instagram account. There's still going to be a lot more that will come out of that probably in terms of his future. Will he get back in the ring? Whatever. He's got to get his life together. The biggest headline of the past few weeks, though, was Miguel Cotto formally parting ways with Rock Nation. He had one fight left. They couldn't make it work. He wanted to fight. Yoshihiro Kama guy. Luckily, HBO said no. There was <laughs> arguments over money. I think this exposes the 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 secret that wasn't a secret. It's that Rock Nation can't promote fights. They didn't use the leverage from Jay Z once, really. And you know, part of the problem here is obviously Miguel Cotto wants big money to fight nobodies. But I think this is a good turn because what is he? Thirty five years old. If he wants to make some money fights against old names, there's you know they've been talking about doing that. Marquez won forever. There's still fun fights to be made. Let's get him with a real promoter who can do it. Let's get him back with top rank. Uh, do you have any excitement over seeing him again? Yeah, look, if they can make a real fight with Cotto, I mean, he, we've shot, we've seen that he can still compete. You know, I mean, he, he got beat by Canelo, but he, but he was game in that fight the whole round and the whole, the whole, you know, all 12 rounds. Um, and, and there are still some matches out there. I think the problem is the way that we've seen the boxing sort of business change a little bit and take a, take a, you know, take a little bit of a dive in terms of the amount of money that fighters can make or, or that big pay-per-view cards can make, uh, since, you know, since Mayweather Pacquiao. Is that you have the, that sort of grandfathered in generation of, of, of big names like Cotto and Pacquiao. And I guess Bradley and Marquez also got a taste of that money by fighting Manny. Um, and now they don't, now they think that, you know, they're used to making a certain amount, but the, the sport doesn't really support that except for very strange, extreme situations that take a long time to, to line up. Uh, yeah, I mean, be, not being connected with Rock Nation probably only helps the likelihood of us seeing one of those, um, you know, one of those exciting Kodo fights that we wouldn't mind seeing again. That's a great point because Cotto probably goes to the negotiating table and says, well, no, I want a minimum of, you know, three million to go in there. HBO Minute three, says, he's well, probably asking 10, 12. No, probably. HBO is basically saying, look, you know, that has to be a pay-per-view if we do it. You don't want to fight anybody that's pay-per-view worthy. The reality is you probably deserve 500,000 to fight Kirkland on HBO and we know you won't do that. So there's still probably murky waters ahead. I think if he splashes the pot though and, and calls up his old buddy Al Heyman, and I don't say, oh, splash buddy, the pot, Brian. I say, well, don't tease the bag, first of all, because <laughs> you know what you're going to get. But didn't he have a brief run with Al Heyman? Remember when he fought Trout on Showtime? There was a, wasn't there a brief run with there? Well, he was with, with Go- he was, he was Miguel Cotto Promotions in conjunction with Golden Boy, which was being, uh, pillaged by, uh, the great Swissman, uh, Richard Schaefer. Absolutely. Well, there seems to be money available to the PBC we've seen in the last couple of years, right? Like hundreds of, of thousands of millions of thousands of millions out there. Call up Al. Let's make a fun washed fight on the PBC side. Put yeah, it on Showtime. Throw it. Let's, let's do this. Throw it, throw a washed opponent out there for, for Kodo. That would be a fun, you know, fun, something fun. 
you know, I don't think PBC employs a lot of wash names. No. That's Victor really Ortiz, sort of, Andre Berto. <laughs> you know what's probably good? Let's be honest. You know what's probably going to happen? He's probably going to be the one who fights Amir Khan. And he'll probably fight him at 154 for all we know. And he'll take his soul and we'll think he's back. And then we'll probably get him in a rematch against Canelo. We know how this ends. Whatever. Let's let's end this. The second biggest headline, Shannon briggs Fresno Kendo, the secondary heavyweight bout that was, tight, that was scheduled for June 3rd in Florida. It didn't have a TV uh, outlet, rightfully so. It was for a WBA secondary belt one of those bootleg titles they still flood it's now going to be called off because Briggs was caught by Vada with having twice the acceptable levels of testosterone at age 45 here's why this was the best news of the week Rafe because it's such crap and it's such boxing that this was ever a heavyweight title fight that these two guys in their mid 40s that hadn't beaten anybody in a decade each could actually be in a fight that you could bill as a heavyweight championship fight I know only sometimes we consider that secondary WA BA belt real. I think when Povekian had it, we, we considered it real for a second. But man, great to see this happen because obviously the cannon was juiced up. I mean, you watched his videos. We don't need to see this fight. Come on, WBA. You're better than this. Great news for boxing. I suppose. I mean, I feel honestly, I just feel bad for, for Shannon Brace. Like he did such a great job in 2014 of, of magically building his name back up just by being insane and, and stalking Vladimir and, you know, eating his pasta and making him fall off a paddle board. I mean, this was, that was 2014 was one of our bad years in boxing and. Shannon Briggs sort of was one of the lone highlights just by running around screaming, let's go champ and wearing, <laughs> you know, ponchos and bad hats. And, uh, and, you know, you kind of, even though it probably would have like, you know, been a, a life, another, yet another life changing beating of a loss for him if he had gotten the fight against Klitschko or oh, Wilder, Wilder or, or a Dude, real he top heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to see him get that fight. I felt like he had been so creative and done and actually broken through. Like he had TMZ following him. He, he, he sold the damn thing and it just, you know, he got the iron real hot and he just never managed to strike. And it's probably not all his fault. I mean, a lot of pieces need to fall into place. And it was very easy to see that, that, uh, that Shannon's uh, hustle was, was, you know, a lot of bark and no bite, but, um, you know, I guess this is how it ends. <laughs> Yeah, let's just make it go away. And I know WBA had been trying to get rid of some of these secondary titles. I mean, they've just flooded the market. They just helped ruin the sport. Just get rid of this crap. Nobody cares. Moving on is uh, the latest in the in the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather talk of a super fight. Rafe, I think it's still that dog and pony show of 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 bait and switch where they Dana White now has come to terms with Conor McGregor. So suddenly, Sports Center, every outlet in the world is saying this fight's going to happen. We're so close. Floyd, who this weekend was. Which is something we glossed over. Floyd this weekend was with his his top charge, Gervonta Davis, there in England for that fight. Took a talk to the media member saying, "Once I get back, I'll talk to Al Heyman and we'll we'll sign a deal." Rafe, I still think it's a it's a bait and switch because I still think the elephant in the room is is what we talked about a few weeks ago: the fact that Dana White's involved in this negotiation and the UFC doesn't need to be, and we don't know what's on that paper that him and Connor signed that they're now going to slide over to Al Heyman. If the number's too large, Floyd's going to be like, forget it, right? He's not going to give a higher percentage to a fighter that he feels he's much more the A-side on. And he's certainly not going to give all this extra money to the UFC just for stepping out of the way. I still feel like we won't see this fight this year. And I still feel like Dana White secretly knows that. And he's trying to to set this up so it will fall apart. And I think everyone's just getting fooled. Like we've been fooled for two years because all the negotiation has been through the media. It hasn't been at a negotiation table. 
Yeah, well, you know, are you surprised? This is this is this is boxing. This is combat sports. Um, this is what happens when when you MMA guys who who like to have the best fight the best come and mess around in our world. Don't tease the bag, guys. You're gonna get the mess. And Floyd will give you the mess, dude. And, and I did want to get, and we we did gloss over. Was Floyd was in in England? Like I said, his charge, the junior lightweight title, is Javante Davis had a third round TKO over Liam Walsh. It it kicked off that Showtime card. Rafe, I think we got to start paying attention to the tank. I mean, we saw him knock out Jose Pedraza earlier this year. Comes back, looks fantastic against Liam Walsh. Even more than I want to talk about how good do you think he is, I want to talk about that your guy Floyd and Gervonta were dressed like Michael Jackson in the Beat It video and came down to the ring with the song Beat It playing. That, that give you any feels? Is that a positive for you? I think if you do that, you got to go all in and do the dance on the way in. You can't just walk in with a with a hat and an ugly leather jacket and some chains. You really got to go. You need you need to you need to wheel out Michael DiLorenzo of New York of New York undercover fame. Have him dancing next to you like the video. I mean, you know that might have been the bad video, but hey, um, you know hey, Michael DiLorenzo is. Legend, Bogare's you get him cage. in there anyway. Yeah, give give me Sharif Bog- Bogare's cage. Oh yeah, yeah. Bogare, whatever you say, to that guy. Uh, Floyd, look, man, Floyd in retirement continues to either. Sometimes he's dressing in in like women's knee length uh, horse riding boots. I don't know what like what's going on. He'll he'll just I mean he'll be in in these ripped jeans or this bedazzled jacket. He had these Road Warrior spikes uh, on his jacket on Saturday. I'm sure it cost you know thirty thousand dollars. Is is he just too rich and famous to not have a stylist in his ear that'd be like, look, dude, you may, you know, you may not want to do that. That's not good for your image. Look, man, I mean, he comes from boxing. You know, it's a di- the style is different from among fighters. It's not like he's he's talking to Dwayne Wade stylist and they're giving him some GQ stuff. Floyd is just out here being garish and doing, you know, doing 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 his thing. Who cares? I, I'd rather that than some something like funneled through Trunk Club or some, you know, mail order. Here's like what here's what bespoke men wear today. You know, let let him let him be flashy. It's he's Money Mayweather. Well, Tank Davis looks like the best prospect Floyd's ever had for Mayweather Promotions. And I know Badu Jack has, has won a title at 168 and has really overachieved and, and come back from that knockout loss to Derek Edwards where we thought his soul was taken. And he's still one of the top fighters, wants to move up to 75. But Gervonta Davis uh, really – Rafe, I mean, he looks fantastic. I mean, I think, you know, you'd like to see him be a little bit more accurate maybe, but the power is real, and he's getting guys out of there. And slow play toward a Lomachenko fight one day if they can cross the street? I mean, this guy looks legit. You feeling that? Yeah, he looks legit. I don't think – nothing I've seen from him makes me – actually think he has a shot against Lomachenko again you know what it comes down to and this is weird this is um a lot of um, a handful of American fighters who've come up in in recent years have this sort of style where they're, they're super fast hands very explosive punchers who don't don't use their legs that much, you know, who, who kind of just stand there and look that's to, you know, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, exactly. That's, I was thinking of Broner when, 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 you know, and, and you see a little, I mean, Gary Russell doesn't fight, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't try and get into the shell that way, but he, he doesn't, you know, he, he does, he does sort of just stand in the pocket and use his hands, which is makes for exciting fights. But then against, those really elite fighters or against certain guys who can take the punches uh, like Maidana did against Broner, it could, it could get dicey in that case. And you saw there were some moments even against Pedraza where Davis looked a little uncomfortable. And of course he stormed right back and knocked the guy out. So you can't really complain, but um, Hey, it's a great, that's a really hot division. It would be fun to see Davis in there against some of those, you know, really iron chinned bangers that that division has and see how his style would match up with theirs. Could he knock out Orlando Salido? Could he knock out, you know, Berkel, FD oh, man, F- after that Miura fight. You know, those guys, those 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 beast dudes. Can can Davis beat them up? That would be something. And, 
And you know, Gary Russell wants to move to thirty. That'd probably be a you know a really nice fight to, to see how to see what Davis really has. Uh, our guy Peter Ferraza, Paulie Malinaji's best friend and quarter, quarter man. Uh, shout out to their podcast, of course. He had a, an Instagram post where he posted a picture of Floyd in the post-fight interview taking over the interview, right, when it should have been about Gervonta Davis, although he did shoot down the Conor McGregor questions. But Peter posted a picture of Puff Daddy and saying, is, is Floyd basically pulling a ditty here in terms of in terms of dominating the space of all his fighters? I chuckled for that, Rafe. You, you agree with it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I heard this rant actually on their podcast. You know, I, I understand what Peter Carr is saying. Uh, but it's whatever. You know, it's, I'm, I imagine it probably does, um, Gervonta Davis more good to be associated with Floyd and that name and have Mayweather really pushing him because we've seen in the past Mayweather has not gotten behind every Mayweather promotions boxer in, in quite this enthusiastic a way. You know, he'll show up at the fight, but he's just there to do the interview. Um, so this is something where, Hey, if you get him on your side, that, that, you know, that's at least good for your profile. Um, it might be bad, you know, down the line in one way or another when, when he figures out how to stick it to you. But, um, Hey, for, for right now, you take what you can get yeah absolutely the last headline of the week in keith thurman as we mentioned posted a picture of him post elbow surgery a lot of black and blue on that right arm he'll be out six months uh is this a big deal or is it just hey he probably wouldn't have come back that quick anyway for his next fight or, or, or how are you feeling on this well, it's not, it may not be a big deal, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's disappointing. I think he would have, why wouldn't he have been back before, you know, now? Cause you know how the, the PBC end of the works. Year. Sure. But he, but he was, but he, but he just beat Danny Garcia in the, the, their biggest fight of all time. Uh, and Thurman has been a guy who usually, I mean, the times when he's been forced into relative inactivity, he's been, you could, he's been noticeably frustrated. Like his interviews get surlier. He complains about not getting fights. He's a guy who, who likes to stay active and, and is and is vocal about it when he's not so i i, I think he would have gotten back in the ring before you know earlier than then he'll be out now hopefully he, it is just a six-month recovery and he's able maybe to fight by the end of this year or the beginning of uh of 2018 the the, the other the, it's also disappointing because you know coming off a of surgery he's probably not going to want to go immediately into a top level fight he's going to want to see how he feels uh against someone not quite on that level. So whether that's, that's you know, whether that means that Andre Berto gets another, gets, gets to come out one more time and see how he's doing. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that, that that's going to be the op- opportunity for that level of uh PBC uh, welterweight. Um, and you know, you want that the welterweight is finally heating up. You know, they, they, they had the, the Thurman Garcia fight. They're having this week, Brooke Spence. And so you, we wanted to see that momentum build and this kind of sets that momentum back. Yeah. I guess you make a good point. We're coming back from, we're probably going to see it. It's probably going to delay things because we're going to want to see him against a jobber probably. But look, the next big fight, unless you want to do the Porter rematch, and I would have no problem with that. Porter looked great taking out Andre Berto. The real big fight, obviously, for Thurman is the winner of Saturday's fight, which would probably take another year to set up anyway. So it may not in the long run be super bad news. But let's transition right into the championship rounds and preview Saturday's fight because it is a good one. On Showtime, 5.15 p.m. Eastern this Saturday from Sheffield, England, Kell Brook depends, defends his well welterweight title against the guy who's really the next big thing in the division, maybe even the sport, Errol Spence Jr. Hey, shout out to Showtime, by the way, who's in the midst of of a loaded run of of boxing. I think it's four or five straight weekends. They've been going out of their way to add some of these fights. I mean, I thought adding Gervonta Davis fight this past weekend to their card was a strong move. Going out of their way to secure this one is a very strong move, considering both guys have done business on the network. 
Rafe, I am fired up for this, and I think rightfully so, because you want to find out how good Spence is. And Brooke, on, on the, at the same time, although he's coming off the Golovkin loss where, where he did suffer the broken orbital bone, I mean, he's the class of the division. He's right there with Keith Thurman. To me, Brooke is really the prototype of what you want a great welterweight to be. He's equal parts good in terms of speed, power, and he really has poise. The real lead-in to get me pumped up was seeing Errol Spence sit down with Mark Kriegel of Showtime on the Reveal interview series. I liked it because we hadn't seen much out of Spence yet because he's so quiet, mild-mannered, all-American guy, no tattoos. And I thought what came out of this was that quiet confidence that's really underlined with a real backbone. This is a tough dude who's just real polite and real quiet, real all-American. But he showed you that I came out of there loving Errol Spence more. How did you feel watching that that reveal with Kriegel? Well, the thing I really felt, Brian, was uh, I was curious how they all get the guys to wear such tight pants in that in those interviews. I mean, they're like wearing <laughs> jeggings in there. It's very it's confusing to me. Um, but um, no, I mean Spence. Look, I I I didn't I don't know if I needed this to get behind Spence, but yeah, I, I like the guy and uh, his I, you know he's he's he does you know he's so young he has a little bit of that you know sort of southern uh you know he's a little bit he seems a little quiet understated but then you know you could tell he also he also has like a a real personality so yeah and more importantly man this is just brooke spence more than and and this is a great this is turning out to be a great year for boxing this has been a great first half of 2017 for boxing uh and out of all of these fights and i'll include um i'll including you know uh ward kovalev too coming up this the, the next month I think Brooke Spence is the one that I'm just most uh Jeff horned over. I'm excited for this because this is something – this is an awesome welterweight matchup. I mean I think that these two guys are – would beat uh, – both both Spence and Brooke would beat Thur- Thurman and Garcia in my mind. I think they're wow. just – I think these are the two best guys. Um, well, look, the, the best thing – I thought the reveal is turning into a, a pretty good pre-fight staple. Sometimes there's too much Kriegel. Sometimes the interview subject doesn't give you what you want. But he's already been able to give you things from like Chavez Jr. and things from Danny Garcia that we hadn't heard before. Well, the best part that came out of this was – we had known that Spence had be had been building a reputation as a giant in the, in the terms of being a sparring partner against the elite, and they were able to bring out that. Now Spence still, and I've interviewed him in the past and tried to ask him about the times sparring Floyd, about the times sparring Broner, what really happened. He didn't want to bite back then, and he still didn't want to fully bite in terms of calling these guys out and being like, yeah, you know, I put it on him. But they did a good job of telling more of the story. Look, supposedly rumored he knocked out Broner with a body punch and sparring, and Broner wanted no more. There was mention that he knocked out Charles Hatley, and, and Kriegel put over Hatley's chin when, hey, dude, didn't Hatley get KO'd one by Tyner? Didn't Tyner take his soul? I mean, come on. Great chin, man. He's incredible chin, that Charles Helley. And, uh, not, 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 and that just means Jermel Charlo is the uh, greatest puncher in the sport right now. Exactly. But the big reveal is that story, which we've talked about in the past in our incarnations of podcasts, was that Floyd, when he came out of jail and he was getting ready for that Guerrero fight at the end of 2012, heading into 2013, wasn't in fight shape yet. You had Errol Spence, who had just turned pro. They they came into a sparring session against each other, and the rumor is Spence blackened his eye. Floyd told Spence to leave the ring, and Spence said, no, I don't want to. I want to. Let's keep fighting. And they had a hellacious sparring match in which Spence showed his true colors. And I always thought that was the reason that Floyd put his arm around Spence that first time Spence was on Showtime in the post-fight interview and tried to do a puff daddy, right, and claim him almost to tell everybody, I'm telling you now that this guy's the future so that I don't have to be pushed into fighting him and nobody has to call me out for not fighting him. He also tried to promote Spence, but Spence turned him down. The reveal did well to show us all of that. There's more to that Floyd story, and if you ever want to hear more, 
Baltimore, listen to that Kenny Porter interview that Ellie Secback did. It has the full inside story. But I think it put over that Spence is a tough dude. He's going into Brooks' backyard here with no problem. He, I give credit to Brooks just the same for taking this fight, but this is the exact kind of fight you want to see as a boxing fan. And I think the biggest question outside of is Spence who we think he is, Rafe, has to be is Brooks still who we knew he was before that Golovkin fight? Will there be residual damage? Is he a changed man from going in there and taking, you know, punches from the hardest hitting middleweight? Yeah, well, we don't know. I mean, there's a lot of questions. That's not just the only question. There's the whole going up to 160 pounds and now somehow trying to come back and make 147 again, which was a a weight that Brooke had been uncomfortable with, you know, for years. I mean, he had trouble making weight against Carson Jones. Uh, and, and there was, there's always the question is, is Brooke going to make weight now? He's done it, uh, consistently for a while now, but it, it is worrisome. And you think of, you know, Roy Jones going up to heavyweight and then coming back down and just not being the same fighter i mean this is it's risky to 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 sort of yo-yo up and down like that um and you know that that's i guess one of if you're looking for the uh the pessimistic view of this fight it is that you know brooke is going to have sort of uh, 17 different built-in excuses for, you know, what went wrong if, if Spence just flattens him. You know, he's going to say, well, you know, I, I really can't fight at 147, I, but I didn't want to give up the belt, which I understand that makes, that's a good excuse, um, or a good reason, but it's, it, you know, it, it, it would, it, it's, and, and then the, the, whatever residual damage from Triple G, that loss, um, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot to question about Brooke, but to his credit, he went on this great ketogenic diet, Says he's on weight and he's promising to bring those chocolate little chocolate brownies to feed him to Errol Spence, a chocolate brownie. <laughs> he's promising to bring his sister in the crowd, right? Which will wake <laughs> up a lot of the, uh, the boxing Twitterverse. Look, I probably would have leaned Spence regardless, not to fully give away my prediction, but I think the weight, which you mentioned was a great point because he had already been talking about moving up to 54, but the weight mixed with the Golovkin situation, breaking his eye bone, coming back, I think that's a, a warning sign in how you're going to handicap this fight. Now, we know this guy's tough. I mean, he's come back from a stabbing, right? I mean, we know this guy can, can do some things. There was some Paul Pierce level of terms of his, uh, his comeback ability there. I just think that, man, he's going up against a real legit beast in Spence, a, a southpaw who can box, who has incredible uh, accuracy and putting together combinations. And he proved against Algeria that he has fight changing power. That's why you love this fight. But I also think that's reasons to believe that. You know, Brooke, you love that he's daring to be great, but maybe he's fighting off more than he can chew in this fight. And it comes down to to whether Spence can handle this moment. And I just don't think we've seen any evidence that he can't. I don't know if I can compare it, though, to a to a recent situation where we've seen someone as untested as Spence jump up to this high of a level and go in somebody else's backyard. I mean, this is this is not a, a light leap for him. But Rafe, everything I've seen tells me that he can handle this. Yeah, it, it is interesting because when you look at uh, uh, Spence's opposition, probably his best opponents are Leonard Bundu and uh, and Chris Algieri, um, and who are both good fighters. Uh, but you knew going into the Algieri fight that Algieri probably had no chance of hurting Spence uh, just because he doesn't have great power, uh, and you know at best would would sort of survive and try and box with him, and and that didn't work out either. Um, and so it, it is interesting to see a, a fight a fight where a guy with who who is jumping up this high in level and no one seems to be worried about it be you know it's sort of like oh well 
yeah, he can handle that. Because and, and honestly, I feel that way too. Because sometimes you just watch a guy enough, and you're like, he's ready. He's he's that good. Or you know, he it's not. It would, maybe he didn't even need to get ready. Maybe he just has been ready. You know, I mean, some guys like Canelo were born ready. Um, <laughs> and well played, well played. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I, I, but but all that said. Kell Brook is a very powerful welterweight, and he and he is fast enough to land punches back on Errol Spence. This is not—I don't expect this to be a total one-way fight. Errol Spence may get the better of it and and may end it early. You never know. I mean, uh, he's a powerful puncher, but I don't think that uh, it will just be a, a straight, you know, rollover. Well, look, I think there, there, there's, uh, you know, Spence has a chance to make such a massive leap here. Like, let's say he wins a competitive decision. He'll make a leap anyway. We'll be able to say he is who we hoped he would be. You know, guys like Jim Lampley, guys like me, not to put me and Lamps in the same sentence here, but the two of us who had really been so in love with him from the beginning, right? Like, since the first time you saw him on TV and you're like, no, this guy's different. He's calculated. He's poised. There's a real backbone there. The only thing we really don't know is what you mentioned is, is the chin up to the level of all the other categories in there you hope we'll find that out against brooke but like i said there's one way where he can win a close decision and look really good but then there's the other way rafe if he pulls a repeat of the algeria fight and obviously brooke is a much better fighter than algeria and on a higher level but at the same time if spence goes out there looking to end the fight early looking to dig in and throw those kind of combinations as poised and as technically sound as Brooke is and as well balanced as he is across the board. I don't know if he can go toe to toe with Spence. I want to find that out, but if he can't and and if Spence can get him out of there early, Rafe, it's time to put him not just in your pound for pound. It's time to maybe put him up kind of high. I mean, it'll be that time. He has that kind of opportunity on Saturday. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Brooke is that good. And, 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 you know, he, he proved it by beating Sean Porter so convincingly. I think, I, I think more so than, uh, than, than Keith Thurman did even. Um, and doing it, you know, and coming to, to California to do it. Uh, he proved it by outclassing the, the hot run of Jojo Dans and Frankie Gavins that, that had to fight him out, out there in the UK. And I think he proved it even a little bit by, by going up to, to fight Triple G and, and winning the first round off of, off of Gal- Golovkin that we've seen, in, uh, you know, maybe in his time in the States until until Golovkin fought Danny Jacobs. All of that were all of that was proof of how good Kell Brook is. Um, and I'm hopeful that when they when he comes into the ring on Saturday, he is in, you know, we're, we're seeing that version of Kell Brook, like a, a real uh, prime, you know, no, no excuses, ready to go Kell Brook. And I think then you're looking at a very like a close fight, a fight that is that you could call a pick em. Um, you know, now. It, that might not be the Kelbrook we see, but if, if uh, I'm hoping that it's the, that, that both guys are at their best and we see a great fight. Here's where Kelbrook is great at. He's great at fighting a guy who's, who's close to elite, but a little bit flawed. Let's say a Sean Porter, right? Who's not as quick, not as accurate against Kelbrook, but is going to come out there super aggressive. And Kel, who again, I have to say is a very poised fighter, can use that jab effectively and use his footwork and really just kind of outclass you. The problem here for me, Rafe, is from the eye test, I think he's facing a guy who's as quick or quicker than him and as accurate and technical or more than him. That's where I, ha- I have questions of how this fight's going to look because it's even against Golovkin where he had really good moments. There was a, a built-in speed advantage in the fact that it's essentially a welterweight going up against a middleweight. If he doesn't have those built-in advantages and he can't outbox Spence, 
then he has to become the puncher and he has to be willing to sort of engage. I don't know if he's going to win those engagements. I'm going to lead Spence in essentially every category. I think he's just too skilled across the board when you match those two up against each other. Yeah, and actually, you know what? One funny thing about Kell Brook is we talk about him like the veteran who's been around, who's who's sort of proven everything to us. But you could really say, outside of beating Sean Porter, he hasn't proven a whole lot more. I mean, Vyacheslav Shevchenko that ended up being a pretty like back and forth fight that went when he before he knocked out Shevchenko in that fight to win the belt. Um, it's a uh, it, it, you know, Kell Brook. There are uh, you could ask as many questions, or we've seen him get questioned against guys like Carson Jones and Shevchenko, um, who aren't that great of fighters so the idea of of him necessarily coming in with this great uh uh advantage and experience or level then uh then then Errol Spence might be a little bit of a mirage yeah if you're looking at eye tests and who appears to be the more special to to and, and I and that's a good Max Kellerman term I, when he call you you know what Max means when he calls a fighter special um and Spence seems to have it uh, maybe like 15 to 20 percent more of that than than Brooke. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, and I think it, for me it comes down to if Spence Chin is exposed, then he doesn't win this fight. If not, I, I don't see where he doesn't win. And obviously, that's not taking anything away from Brooke. Like you said, if there's no other mitigating circumstances, this probably is a 50-50 fight on paper, and that's why you love it so much. But it's really going to kind of going to come down to that. It, it can if if Brooke can't outbox him. Can he outslug him? And I think if Spence is as good as I think he is and as willing to try to get a guy out of there early if he thinks he has the chance, then I really think it's set up to see Spence win by stoppage. And I think it could happen in that mid to late category. I think Brooke will actually taste the canvas, will come up ready to right the ship. But in the end, you know, Spence just may put him down a couple times and you may see that, that, that towel get thrown in. And my straight up prediction right now, Rafe, Errol Spence by eighth round TKO. What you going to do with that? That's a good one. Um, you know, I, a lot, I, I like Kell Brook. I've liked him for a long time. I, he's, I've been, a, you know, I'm a fan of his. I, I, and like, if I thought that all of the, if I thought that I could be 100% sure that he was going to, you know, come in at his very best at this weight, um, then I would, then I would feel not great about picking him, but I might just do it just to, to stick with my, one of my guys. Um, but there's just too much up in the air. There are too many things that might have gone wrong or could still go wrong on his side. It just seems like there's more, um, there, you know, if you're looking at it from a risk management point of view, uh, there's a lot more to, to, to weigh on Kell Brooks side than Errol Spence's. Um, and combine that with Spence just looking like the young rising, uh, real, one of the young rising real stars of boxing with, with the talent to, to back it up. Um, I'm also going to pick, um, I'm also going to pick Errol Spence in this fight. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It'll be, I think, I think we'll be able to knock him out. I mean, it's just, wow. it, yeah, well, not, I think it'll go back and forth, but they, these guys are going to fight. They, they fight, they, they, they both have pretty heavy hands and they both land shots. And once one guy gets an advantage, I see that, I see that fighter pressing it and not sitting back on it. Um, and and we saw what Spence did to Algeria, just really overwhelmed him. I don't think it'll look like that against um Kell Brook, but I I, I am kind of with you on a late 
knockout. I'll go a little later, maybe like the 11th round where um, Kel, Kel Brook, they finally, maybe maybe the corner stops it, maybe the ref stops it. It's just uh, uh, just when it appears that he's taken too much and uh, after having fought back a couple times and, and made, a, yeah. made, a real, made a real effort, um, it, it comes out that he's coming up a little short. All right, two things before we close. One, hashtag never forget on our old Grantland the Ropes days when you pick that JoJo Inuit Dan, a.k.a. hashtag party at the igloo would, would would defeat and possibly stop Kell Brook. So let's put that right back up on the record. A very gutsy fighter, that. you know. I mean, he's very live going into that. You know, very and durable. Number, at number two, the winner of this bout, no matter who it is, and how how much recognition should they get? Obviously, it'll depend on the quality of the performance. But we know Pacquiao is not going to fight either of them. So should should the winner of this be declared outright the best welterweight in the world? And will they get the pound for pound top ten ranking to go with that? And should they after this fight? Uh, yes and yes, I think. I, I, I mean, like I said, I already considered these guys the two best uh, active welterweights, and uh, I think, and especially, I mean, look. You can see all all of the American boxing uh, apparatus, media, press, uh, business side. Everyone is lining up to to basically, you know, cling to um, the right or left ball of Errol Spence's. Um, so if he <laughs> if he pulls out this win, um, you know, yeah, people are going to be calling him uh, a top five or at you know, I mean, I think that might be a little overboard, but I bet you'll see some people launch him into a top five pound for pound conversation, even if he hasn't quite. An, earned that yet people want Errol Spence to be that good they want him to be the next guy because I mean Floyd made welterweight the the glamour division there are these other fighters around there who sort of get close to it but don't quite have it you know Danny Garcia uh first of all Oscar made the glamour division so so you know uh put some respect on his name please I'm sorry, you know, it was when, you know, it was when Floyd walked into the arena with the sombrero and then took his soul that, uh, you know, I, I just for totally forgot. Um, but look, um, yeah, people want here on this side of the Atlantic, people want Errol Spence to be that guy. So if he wins this fight in, in a convincing fashion, then yeah, people I think will, will go jump right on board and be like, Oh yeah, this guy's pound for pound, you know, crown him basically like, like we're doing with Terrence Crawford right now. And I'd say it, he deserves it. If he beats Kel Brook, who is a really good fighter, then, then yeah, crown him, give, start giving him that credit, start trying to find the best possible fights and, and, and let him keep building that resume and, and, See if, see if, you know what I want to see a fighter in this generation actually go after it, you know? Really, really not follow the Floyd script, which, you know, we know that it involved a lot of, uh, waiting, waiting out certain opponents, being Mm -hmm. selective about the right matchups, being calculating about everyone. I, I hope that whoever, you know, at least one of the great fighters of this next sort of up and coming generation, they just go after it. They just want to fight everyone and they don't care about when they're getting them and they just go out there and, and do it. Well, the best news is that, you know, Thurman is, I think the winner of this will get the pound for pound recognition. I think they'll be on the same level as Thurman in the conversation. And the good news is they're all on the same side of the bracket to be able to make that fight probably for next year. And I think, you know, Showtime has already voiced that essentially. Steven Espinosa saying that, look, this is an unofficial tournament. This is what it is. And look, that's a major fight. And I, and I, and I can't wait for the winner of this to face Thurman. I can't wait until we get there. Man, boxing, it is back, Rafe, it is, because they're giving us fights we care about, they're giving us fights we want to see, they're still giving us the bizarre moments that we mentioned, a lot of good good times right now, we're back with a podcast, we brought it to you again this week, at B. Campbell CBS on Twitter, at Rafe Bugs. get out there and buy two and two, Rafe, thanks so much for joining me again this week, my man. 
Brian, anytime, man. I'm born ready for this. We'll be back uh, short, sooner than later. And, and until then, look, we got two words for you. We out.